Welcome in to another episode of a Cali Green Monster show. I am your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you here from the Tesla Studios in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. It is Monday morning, April 12th, 2021. Hope everyone had a kick-ass weekend, ready to come into this week and just dominate the week. It's definitely an interesting time in sports. You know, we just had the Masters Tournament, just finished up yesterday. I'll talk about that later on in the show. But it's interesting time in sports where it definitely feels like there is a lull. You know, unless you're a hardcore NBA fan, you know, you could be really paying attention to, you know, basketball heating up. And, you know, baseball season just started. And, you know, hockey's heating up a bit. But, you know, I feel like until the NBA playoffs legitimately kick off, until the NHL playoffs legitimately kick off, you know, at least me personally, and I think the casual sports fan doesn't pay incredibly incredible amount of attention to it until, yeah, like I said, the playoffs kind of pick up. And then in terms of baseball, I feel like once opening day happens and once that opening week happens, you really start to enter kind of like the dog days of summer. And, you know, you might be saying, Dean, it's April. How is it summer? But I feel like, honestly, the dog days of summer for baseball is like the second week of April all the way until like September 1st when like the playoff races really start heating up. You know, it's almost like in September you can check the standings and be like, hey, is it, you know, worth following my favorite team? Are they even in contention? Are they even making it worth it? And at least, you know, following my favorite team, the Boston Red Sox, it should make sense. The show is a Cali Green Monster show. So you would think a Green Monster is going to talk about the Red Sox. And every once in a while, you will have your obligatory Red Sox talk. Today's one of those days. You know, those first three days of the season, they had dropped an opening set series against the Baltimore Orioles. No one's going to be confusing the Baltimore Orioles as World Series favorites or even favorites to compete in the AL East. They're definitely one of the weaker franchises and have been one of the weaker franchises over the past three decades. So the Red Sox really having a an, an anemic offense and crappy pitching for those first three games really didn't inspire confidence for the rest of their season but alas over these last six games they've really turned it around they've really inspired a little bit more confidence in that they can be somewhat competitive this season they're now riding a six-game win streak after sweeps of the Tampa Bay Rays and returning the favor against the Baltimore Orioles this weekend and the Bolt and the Boston Red Sox J.D. Martinez is one of the hottest bats, if not the hottest bat in the MLB right now. Yesterday, he jacked three home runs, and he's only the fifth player in the MLB history to hit three home runs in a game with three different teams. He's now done it with the Detroit Tigers, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and now the Boston Red Sox. So, you know, this dude's been, he can mash anywhere he plays, and he's, you know, been mashing for these for the first eight games that he's played this season. You know, he sat one of them, but in the eight games that he's played, <clears throat> He has gotten an extra base hit in every single one of those games. So I think that's five home runs and eight doubles. So he's definitely, you know, putting to rest that 2020 was a sign that his you know, his career was on the downswing. I think he batted around like 212 or 213 last season. But everyone's got to remember that 2020 really shouldn't at least that statistically shouldn't be taken into account with a lot of the players, whether it's 
for good or for bad. I think the perspective with a lot of people for 2020 is that, you know, because it was only 60 games. And considering that a full MLB season is 162 games, there are stretches in a normal season where a player might slump for 60 games but be hot for the rest of it and actually put in a decent slash line. But if you had, if you were, if you were cold for two months last season, it looks like you had a terrible season. You know, someone like Christian Yelich for the ball or the Milwaukee Brewers comes to mind. So, I think that J.D. Martinez definitely came out with something to prove this season, and he's proven it. He's definitely, you know. He's making he's making all the people that are either saying that JD Martinez's contract was an albatross. He's making those people look bad. He's making all the people that said that we should trade away JD Martinez. He's making them look bad. So you know the Boston Red Sox. We might have something to talk about, but then again, you know, it's only the first two weeks of the season, and I really think it is kind of fool's gold to be putting all your hopes into you know what's going on in the first two weeks because. Like I just mentioned, a lot can happen in just 60 games, and then you know the rest of the, the rest of the way can be completely different. You know, the 60 games—it's like there's still 100 games left to play. So we're still early on, nine games in, but you know, Boston Red Sox are doing a little better than I had anticipated. So yesterday was Masters Sunday. We have a new Masters champion, Hideki Matsuyama. He held a four-stroke lead entering Sunday after a bogey-free Saturday. So he was just, you know, looking good at the, the beginning of the weekend. And he was able to deal with all the pressure on Sunday and be the first Japanese men's player to, let alone not just win a majors tournament, but win the Masters tournament. So it was really impressive. Matsuyama... I think it's just especially considering the pressure that was going into him on Sunday. You know, he had the weight of a nation because it's not just that the weight of the nation and the continent of Asia and or not just the weight of Japan and the continent of Asia. There we go, Dean. Let's get sentence out properly. And I think it's also pretty impressive because, you know, Tokyo Olympics are going to be in 2021. And now Hideki Matsuyama is definitely one of the most prominent and might be the biggest face in Japanese sports going into the the Tokyo Olympics in four months. There's even the possibility that he might be lighting the torch um, on opening ceremony. That'd be an impressive image. Hideki Matsuyama in his green jacket lighting the torch. That's going to be, I think, Japanese golf now. You're going to start seeing a lot of better players coming out of japan i think it's kind of similar how tiger woods when he became really big in the mid 90s and golf really took off and all of a sudden the pga tour started being dominated by athletic you know athletic men and it wasn't just like a snobby white dude sport you were so tiger woods he really changed the sport and i think hideki matsuyama that's kind of the, the real story that's coming out of his victories that you know he's probably going to change golf and the landscape of golf and you know expect to see more and more better players coming out of J- not just japan but south korea and just the asian continent in general 
as I had mentioned earlier, he had a four-stroke lead going into Sunday, and he was paired up with Xander Shafley, who was, you know, four strokes back. And Xander Shafley really almost, you know, he was charging for a comeback. He had birdied 12, 13, 14, and 15 to pull himself within two strokes. And then on 16 on his tee shot, put it in the water, and he wound up with a triple bogey that just really kind of put the end of that comeback. And, you know, we had the rookie, Will Will Zalatoris. Will Zalatoris, he was minus nine, so he was right behind Matsuyama, so only one stroke behind. You know, he was a rookie. The first thing I noticed about him, well, there was two things you'll notice about Zalatoris. From behind, he looks like Happy Gilmore's first caddy, you know, the blonde guy that Happy Gilmore shoves when he grabs the the his clubs and it's just like Mr. Gilmore I'm your caddy so Zalatoris really had happy Gilmore caddy vibes I even tweeted it out and then this morning I saw that ha- or Adam Sandler had tweeted something pretty similar I think either right before me so you know I don't know if it really kind of caught fire or not but that dude totally looked like him from behind and then also Zalatoris was like one of the skinniest people I've ever seen ever he had like the waist of like a middle school girl. I don't know. It was like, I think there's a lot of women that were pretty envious at how slim his waistline looked. But that dude, he could play some pretty good golf. And if what we saw from him this weekend at the Masters is any indicative of what he'll do moving forward, I think that we'll be seeing more of Zalatoris. You know, so Xander Shafley, he wound up at seven under, tied for third behind Matsuyama and Zalatoris, and Spieth also had minus seven. So as I had mentioned on the show, I think back on Thursday, that Spieth was one of the people that a lot of people were anticipating might get a win or at least a top ten. So they at least were right in him getting the top ten, but you know, he was a little off on getting the win. Two of the other people that I talked mentioned that were getting a lot of hype and a lot of people were picking to win was either Bryson DeChambeau or Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson had himself a rough day on Friday. I think he bogged the last like three holes and he wound up missing the cut. So he wasn't even there on the weekend. You know, some other notable people that missed the cut. We had Brooks Kepka, who's one month removed from, I think, knee surgery. So, you know, you can guess forgive his performance there, even though I know he wasn't too happy. He was pretty pissed that he put in a lot of work just to be able to get there and then to to not even make it to Saturday was pretty disappointing. Rory McIlroy, someone that I had also, you know, along with Justin Thomas, I thought that had a chance of, you know, maybe coming out victorious over the weekend. He didn't even make it to the weekend. He shot plus six on over Thursday and Friday, so he didn't have the best. And, you know, my pick, Justin Thomas, while he made the cut, he finished with even, tied for 21st. And DeChambeau, as I had mentioned, he made the cut as well, but he had a rough Sunday, and he wound up at plus five, tied for 46. So, you know, the the Masters is definitely, you know, a lot of people, like a lot of people say, it's considered the Super Bowl of golf. It's always intriguing to watch. I think Sunday Masters is, is always a treat to watch. And it was impressive to watch Matsuyama really handle the pressure and play good enough golf to keep his four-stroke lead and bring home the green jacket. 
On Saturday, the UFC made its return to network television. It was UFC on ABC2. It was originally supposed to be headlined by Italian middleweight Marvin Vittori versus uh, British middleweight Darren Till. However, I think a little less than two weeks ago, Darren Till broke his collarbone, so he was replaced by Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland was someone that we had saw back in March lose in decision to Derek Brunson. So he was definitely trying to you know rebound from a lackluster performance and you know show that he can in fact defend wrestling and defend takedowns however you know I don't know if it was because of the short notice fight or not having a big camp he was completely dominated by Marvin Vittori it was unanimous unanimous decision Vittori I think he won the fight on all three judges score cards on all rounds I think it was a 50-44 unanimous decision so you know Kevin Holland, he wasn't able to stop the wrestling against Brunson, and Vittori put on a very similar game plan. You know, in the beginning of the fight, you could tell that in the exchanges on the feet, they were either pretty even, if not maybe Holland having more of an advantage in the striking, which prompted Vittori to, you know, just start taking this dude down. So I think that Holland's definitely going to need to, you know, go back to, you know, go back to the lab, try to work on, you know, work on his wrestling takedown, work on his, you know, grappling from the bottom, work on a way to try to stay on his feet. Because if he could stay on his feet, he's definitely a tough dude. You got to give him credit. He lasted the whole five rounds. He was game. You know, there were some exchanges late in the third round where, you know, on his feet were, you know, I thought he he caught Vittori with a couple of good shots. So I think if he could figure out a way to, you know, stay on his feet and keep fights a stand-up, you know, Kevin Holland could be a player in the middleweight division. But until that happens, he's just going to be a guy with a big mouth and, you know, more of a stand-up style and, and not really a middleweight threat for the title. And meanwhile, for Vittori, that was his fifth in a row. And his, you know, his last loss coming with a split decision to the current champ, Israel Adesanya. That's prompted Vittori to come out and call for a rematch with Adesanya. You know, he thinks that his five wins, especially over his last ones over Holland and Hermanson, that this should, you know, vault him into a title shot. You know, I think that there's some people that, you know, totally agree with that. I wouldn't be upset if we saw Vittori fighting Adesanya, especially considering that their first fight was close. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Adesanya would want that as well, because especially if you've won a close decision or won a close fight, some people want to be able to, you know, put an exclamation mark on that, you know, matchup to really kind of hammer home that they were the dominant person and that they were the better fighter. And I see Adesanya possibly wanting that with Vittori. There are some people that might not be excited with the prospect of Vittori headline and pay-per-view with the type of style that he implemented in Holland. You know, it was very heavy wrestling based and it doesn't, it's not really appeasing to the eyes. So while it gets the job done and it's mixed martial arts, it's someone's responsibility to stop that wrestling, stop the takedown and stop someone from implementing that type of game plan. It is kind of boring and sore on, on the eyes to watch. So I could see maybe Dana White not being too excited to give this guy a title shot. You had Darren Till, his original opponent, who was tweeting out and talking about how 
he would dominate Vittori for five rounds, especially based off the performance that he saw on Saturday. But, you know, I feel like it's like Darren Till, you don't have a, really a place to talk or talk shit like that, especially when, you know, that was supposed to be you in there. We were supposed to see you try to do that, but, you know, you broke your collarbone. Whether that's your fault or not, you know, I don't think you can talk some shit right now. Vittori made it to the fight. He was fighting on the day that you guys signed up. So, I don't know, I think it's like shut your face and, you know, get ready for whoever else the UFC lines up for you in the future. So another fight on the card that I thought was interesting was, you know, Mike Perry was on the card. He's always someone that I think, you know, when you see his name on, you know, you're in for an exciting fight. He's not someone that you consider the most technical technically great MMA fighter but he's someone that brings it every time he's like he he likes to bang on the feet he's really dangerous stand up he hits hard and he's definitely an intimidating dude like he's definitely not someone I would want to run into at a bar or piss off because you know he's a scary dude but you know he definitely looks like he met his match Daniel Rodriguez on Saturday just picked him apart you know with like jabs straights kicks and he left Mike Perry completely bloodied he won every single round took unanimous decision victory and you know yeah no Perry just doesn't really look like as dangerous I mean he, he like I said he's still dangerous I wouldn't want to fuck with him but in terms of UFC he has he's definitely been running a rough stretch he's lost four of his past five and that result has now dropped into seven and eight in the UFC so he's officially below 500 that's not the best you know prospects for a dude that you know it's like having 15 fights in the UFC you know you make more money the longer you in there so I know that you know they're probably less inclined to keep a fighter the longer they're in if they're around a 500 fighter because you know they want to keep they want to keep the UFC stocked with fresh faces with with honestly with people that they could probably pay less money to but also still market as a threat to the title or as an exciting fighter so we'll see what happens with Mike Perry this fight um it was the second to last on his UFC contract. So post fight, he had kind of mentioned an Instagram post about, he doesn't really know what's going to be in the future for him. You know, he's got one more fight left. This was his first fight since having a son. So he, coming into the fight he said that he was a changed man and that you know he had just started training at this new MMA Masters in Miami and considering that he was kind of famous a couple years ago for saying that his girlfriend was his trainer so it seemed like you know having you know becoming a family man and having a real training camp a lot of people were hoping that Mike Perry would come out and show out but that wasn't the case so we'll you know only time will tell with Mike Perry moving forward and Rosenhama Junis, she was in the news. She's going to be vying for the straw weight title against current champion Chinese welter or straw weight Zhang Wei Li. They're going to be fighting at UFC 261 later this month in Jacksonville. It's going to be the UFC's return to full stadiums. So there's going to be no, you know, half capacity for this fight. It's going to be full. So I'm expecting around you know, 19 to 20,000 people that are probably going to be packing Jacksonville. Definitely looking forward to it. And I feel like Rose Namajunas, she's definitely trying to make this into uh, Rocky Four. You know, she's she was quoted. She had an interview with, it was a Lithuanian national radio and television, and she was quoted saying, better dead than red. So she's definitely not a, a fan of communist China. And she definitely tried to make sure to, 
hammer home the point that she doesn't dislike Wei Li specifically, but as Wei Li being a Chinese fighter fighter who's representing communist Chinese government, the way that she's motivating herself is, you know, basically she feels like she's fighting the ideology that Zhang's country, you know, stands for. She, she was quoted as, I fight for freedom. I've got the Christ consciousness. I've got the Lithuanian blood and I've got the American dream. All of these things I'm taking with me into the fight. Now, dude, that's a fucking promo. Like, listen to this. If you were just like a, like a, like a wrestler, like I fight for freedom. I've got the Christ consciousness. I've got Lithuanian blood and I've got the American dream. All of those things I'm taking with me into the fight. It's like, fuck yeah, Rose Namajunas. Like, that's a fucking promo. And if I wasn't hyped for that fight, I'm fucking stoked for it. You know, regardless of whether you want your politics in injected into your fight game, I'm fucking stoked on it. And, you know, it's not like... Rose Namajunas is just this redneck American and someone who's just like, oh, fuck communists, you know. It's like her parents were immigrants from Lithuania and lived in Lithuania over, over when, while Lithuania was part of the Soviet Union. Her grandfather was killed by Soviet soldiers really close to their home in Lithuania. So she definitely, you know, kind of like people, when you talk to someone whose family immigrated from Cuba, it's like you definitely shouldn't be... You, be talking good or positive things about Fidel Castro around them. They definitely don't see them him in a positive light. And especially when you hear of people who immigrate from, you know, communist parts of Asia and communist parts of Eastern Europe, they don't want to hear it like about communism or communist sympathy. So, you know, honestly, as a fight fan, as someone who, you know, enjoys wrestling and enjoys like a nice storyline, I appreciate that Rose Namajunas just injected the, the Rocky four you know, America versus the red, red nations. Uh, I'm pretty stoked. Good for you, Rose Namajunas. I, I'll be looking forward to ordering that pay-per-view was going to order it no matter what, but now I'm actually uh, even more stoked on your fight. And, you know, before I get out of here, I feel like it would be pretty shitty of me being a self-professed, you know, wrestling fan to not at least highlight that WrestleMania was this past weekend. WrestleMania was both on Saturday and Sunday. I'm glad that they have been make extending it over two nights because WrestleManias over the past handful of years have gone like seven, eight hours. And I feel like nothing, no matter how much you enjoy something, nothing is ever good when you're sitting there for seven, eight hours to enjoy it. It's always exhausting when they do that. So I appreciate them doing it over two nights. Dean, did you watch WrestleMania? No, I did not. It was on Peacock Network, and I think between you know HBO Max and Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus, you know, I wasn't feeling I wasn't feeling generous enough to pony up for the Peacock channel. But I would like to point out: looks like the big main event. It was a triple threat between Roman Reigns, Edge, and Daniel Bryan. And what do you know? Mr. Roman Reigns came out on top. I think that the universe or the w wrestling fans are a little bit more accepting of this nowadays because anyone who's been paying attention to wrestling over the past half decade or so, Roman Reigns has been the the wrestler that the, the 
WWE brass and the WWE executives and Vince McMahon have really been shoving down the throat. And up until, you know, recently, he's been a baby face and that's considered the good guy. You know, he was kind of like the good guy, the John Cena, the person, the white meat, like, oh, yeah, like eat your vegetables. And he was kind of like that. But no one wanted him as a good guy. They finally have flipped him heel, and it looks like this imp- this run that he's had with Paul Heyman as his advocate slash manager has been has been working well, and it was evident by him having you know it, it considering being a pretty successful main event at WrestleMania, and I think that's something you haven't been able to say for a while with Roman Reigns headlining WrestleMania. So I think this is the first time you can at least look and be like, hey, we got the reaction that we wanted. He, you know. He pinned both Edge and Daniel Bryan at the same time. I think he had laid Edge's knocked out corpse on top of Daniel Bryan and pinned both of them. So that's definitely an exclamation mark that definitely kind of lets everyone know that he's the man to beat. And it'll be impressive to see who WWE kind of builds up to try to knock off Roman Reigns. But, you know, until then, he's he's going to be the man. I appreciate everyone that has taken the time to download and listen to the show. If you like what you're listening to, make sure to tell a friend, be a friend, tell a friend. If not, just pretend you never listened to the show and just uh, mosey on with your day. But until next time, I've been your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you from the Tesla Studios here in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. Have a great one, guys. Peace.